Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Welcome to Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. I'm Gordon Glenister, and in this edition, we'll be looking at the luxury goods sector. Stephen Farrell is the Associate Director Influencer Relations of leading agency Ketchum. She's part of the Omnicom Group. And I asked him about some of the leading luxury brands he's worked with and why they work particularly well with influencers. Um, so I've been involved with brands such as Bash and I've also worked with Ralph Lauren in the past um, in the influencer marketing space. And I think like there's huge opportunity for luxury brands with influencer marketing because we think about now, first and foremost, how we consume content and the amount of time that people are spending on social media. Specifically for the luxury space, it's often a considered purchase. So it's something that you want to, to know about before you make an investment. Yeah, so sure. I think that influencers I serve as storytellers for that. And I think that um, just an example that springs to mind uh, an industry that does this particularly well is the travel industry. And I think that influencers have very much made places destinations. Uh, I'm thinking about the Fairmont Hotel and, and the sort of work that they do around London Fashion Week. We'll host a lot of key fashion influencers who will be posting from the venue during the course of Fashion Week, yeah. which in a very busy marketplace, such as the London travel or the London hotel industry, having something like that that stands out and, and gives you the edge is, is absolutely very important. And what, what sort of influences do you think are really making a difference in the luxury sector, particularly? Well, I think about people like Camille Cherrier from the fashion space who has developed a podcast called Fashion No Filter, which is she's got some amazing guests. And I think that she's made those brands quite interesting in terms of seeing what goes on in the fashion space behind the scenes. And also what I think is very interesting, what Camille has done is also migrating onto other channels because, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about Instagram and, and, and the evolution of the algorithm. So I think that um, just the, the, the increase in other mediums, such as podcasts, are particularly interesting for us as an agency and thinking about other platforms in which we can tell our brand stories. I mean, you mentioned the word storytelling. It's, it's absolutely the key word now, which I think is what influencers and content creators do extremely well, which other advertising medium really can't compete with and yes. I think that is why we've seen this rapid growth in 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 the, in the sector something that I'm a great believer in it's not about a mass audience but it's about a meaningful audience and I think Good that point, yeah. you know you certainly should not base a campaign solely on numbers and um, my own personal view is if you want brand awareness and certainly someone with a substantial following will have will give you an increased organic reach However, if you're wanting higher conversion potential, I think you're more likely as, a, as an individual to go to someone who's a specialist. So, I mean, I'm just thinking of the example of the interior designer, be it a human, and, all, and also the, um, someone who works in interior space, Luke Edward Hall. So I myself am doing some refurbishments at home at the minute, and I'm looking at their accounts every day because it's it's a great source of information based on their authority mm. in the interiors world and then also just discovering new brands through them 
Credibility and authenticity are especially important, especially today in, a, in, a, in an age where influencer marketing is oversaturated. We it are in a, in a point where there are so many influencers and we were having a conversation previously about one of the hardest things for brands and agencies to do now is actually to cast an influencer because the choice is so great. Yes, It's not just about numbers, it's, it's actually going and looking and, and diving into the data, seeing where what that audience is, yeah. because you're better speaking to less of the right people yeah. than a, a whole bunch of the wrong ones. Yeah, no, couldn't agree with you more. I think also, particularly for luxury brands and de- 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 young design fashion brands as well, I think there is uh, a great opportunity, particularly when they've got smaller marketing budgets, to consider influencer marketing, Yes, um, because actually their return on investment can be greater and more significant yes is, have you had some experience of that as and an example that springs to mind which i think is is relevant for the luxury space and and really quite of the time given the focus now on sort of sustainability is is the brand bash and what they've done with their flagship store in nolita in new york is they've give their old collections a new life and essentially they've been using influencers to um it's called the bash closet we're essentially <laughs> in in exchange, it's, it's sort of a social currency model whereby they have brought out old pieces where you can go in on a Friday and borrow something for the weekend in exchange for you tweeting or sharing it on social media. And I think it's just really? given... The, yes, and given the price point of the brand, which, which is in the higher echelons, it's just made the brand accessible to so many more people. Mm. And influencers have been key to actually publicizing that and and um i just thought it was a very clever tactic on their part to bring in new audiences yes interesting and what about the sort of international community i get i think as well unlike some other ad media uh, influencer marketing is is by the very nature of it global Mm -hmm. but that also brings its challenges as well so when you're advising clients about who to work with is there an example about where uh, different countries' populace will have uses in different platforms. In fact, we were talking about Norway and, we were, um, yes. and Snapchat earlier. So what's your perspective on that? Well, certainly we've just, to use the example we were discussing, did a landscape assessment for a client for the Nordics. And certainly the social media landscape over there looks somewhat different to what it is currently here in the UK. So, for instance, just taking Norway as an example, over 50% of the population there use Snapchat, which from an an influencer marketing perspective is a a huge insight for us when we're thinking about the campaigns that we want to run in that region. Um, But it it changes the world over and you think about Asia and they've got very much their own influencer marketing ecosystem in terms of platforms and channels. So absolutely, it's not a one-size-fits-all for, for all markets. It's very important for us as, as marketeers to go and see the, what platforms are most important and what people are engaging with. Absolutely. And often it's, it's not the most popular because Facebook has, is, is very popular in many territories, but it, it's not somewhere where a, a particularly strong influencer marketing community exists. Yeah. So it's just understanding those local nuances. And I guess that's another thing for a specialist consultant to advise somebody about before you embark on this campaign, let's just have a look at the data, let's look at the, the insights that are already there 
and you can advise them about where best to spend their money to get yes. the greatest return. Yes. Which otherwise, if they weren't to do that, could be it could be wasted spend. Absolutely, I think many people now are are seeing the value of influencer marketing because as the industry matures, we're getting a lot more tangible insights into return on investment. Um, and as a, as a marketeer, you're thinking, okay, well, do I put my money into print? Do I put my money into television? So it's very important for us to be making very sort of clear recommendations in terms of how you're going to reach your target audience mm. in a credible way in mm. those respective different territories. I also think one of the other big benefits of influencer marketing is what I call the long tail. It's not just about the, the mm. instant impact, which you may get with a television ad or a, or a magazine, but actually you've got an enduring level of engagement with a brand, haven't you? Although it might be for a campaign, mm. if you're connected with that individual and they're passionate about a particular cause or a product, um, that, which is why we've seen the growth of ambassadors, haven't yes. we? Which are, which are much more sort of long tail. Well, I think going back to the example I talked about with podcasts, um, certainly brands now are savvy, been savvy in that they're partnering with influencers on sponsored content for podcasts on a particular topic that's relevant to them as a brand. Mm. And I think in, if you're a customer who's wanting to make a considered purchase, you're, you're seeking out information. And I don't think it matters if the podcast from a year ago, it's still of interest and relevance to you. So you're going back and listening to that influencer podcast. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, a magazine, I, I don't think many of us are going back and reading GQ from, you know, August 2016 or somewhat, but... We are searching Spotify for, for podcasts relevant to... Couldn't agree with you more. And I think as well, I think the new sale is education. If you, if yes. you seem to be educating your audience yes. and adding real value rather than it just be about promotion, because mm. there is a little bit still of um, influencer followers don't necessarily want to be sold to. Yes. The whole wave, I mean, adver traditional advertising in its mm. rawest form is, is actually reached its lowest level, I think I was hearing recently, of, uh, of appreciation amongst the consumer society that we live in. People mm. like to feel recommended and advised mm. and supported. Is that your... Totally, 100%. I think it's something we need to be very careful of is essentially the language that the influencers are using and that they actually have a credible and meaningful reason to talk about the product. Yeah. Because I think the days of hold and post are, <laughs> are you know, somewhat limited because yeah. I think, you know, the customers are savvy enough now to, to understand that there perhaps isn't a lot of integrity behind some and they of those can, collaborations. They can smell an inauthentic post more than anything else, God knows. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to have a chat with you this morning, Stephen, and thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Now, while some of the platforms measure influencer marketing from the traditional advertising-based metrics, others are taking the science from financial modeling. Bring on influencer platform Wirisma. Wirisma have also done some interesting analysis of the luxury brand sector too. And I recently met up with its founder and CEO, Jenny Tse, to find out more. And here's what she had to say. I had a background in financial engineering as a start um, and then moved into media for many years from TV and magazines, um, you know, Sky, Hearst. And Warisma came about because I really would just feel so compelled 
to see with the rise of social media, can we one use financial engineering principles and understanding and apply that in the social media and particular influencer sectors to analyze it? Um, after all, brands are uh, making a lot of investment decisions in the space, and therefore, rightly, um, brands should be evaluating. And so, um, you know, fast forward uh, from from that point on, four or five years ago, I created Verisma as the technology and the insights platform that really help brands make the most out of their investment decisions in this space. Uh, so, what's made it particularly unique amongst some of the others? Because there is a lot of platforms uh, out there. There's a few things. So one thing is um, because of the way we are set up, uh, we're very much global in nature. So we cover platforms all over the world, including even the likes of you know Weibo in China, for example, um, including some of the, the emerging kind of platforms in Asia as well. Um, of course, all the key platforms that, that we've got here from uh, you know Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, etc. The, the, the other part of it is the lens that I mentioned, which is from, from finance. So as you're making investment decisions um, oftentimes um, as you evaluate say you want to invest in stock market uh, you will look at each of the stock differently you know whether or not there are a dividend long-standing stock or a risky high growth stock uh, and then you would create a portfolio that matches your expectation. So that's very much how we see, you know, uh, how brands can invest in the influencer sectors. D due to our global coverage, we're able to really support um, some of the biggest global brands on earth um, to, to, to compare um, the various uh, performances in market dynamics. Um, so um, there's a few things, for example, um, that, I, that I'll highlight now. So if you compare some of the most uh, interesting conversations that influencers are creating, some of the most interesting content, um, no doubt within the luxury sector, there's, of course, you know, the fashion angle, the beauty angle. But the next up in the UK, interestingly, um, the topic often has to do with one's identity. And what is really interesting uh, about that is because um, influencer is not influencer by, by nature in the same way that celebrity is. You know, people follow them because they can identify themselves uh, with the influencer. Just like, oh, I'm like her, and therefore, if she's recommending this, it probably suits me. Maybe we have the same, I don't know, um, hair uh, type, uh, etc. And so that's why conveying their identity is such an important part of, of why the follower actually find their content valuable. So that's actually one thing that we see quite a lot um, that is emphasized. Uh, in comparison, in, in Japan, uh, the topic that is um, most highlighted um, amongst influencer content um, outside of, say, fashion and beauty is actually, uh, interestingly, brands followed by motherhood. So it's actually an interesting fact that um, they are very open to discuss um, how the different brands kind of kind of help them in their lives, and um, the fact that many of them actually are very um, focused on the sort of the, the kind of family aspect, sharing um, tips and you know ways to you know approach motherhood was actually something quite interesting, you know, amongst the luxury sector. Is there an example of maybe a campaign? campaign that 
has had a different impact, same campaign, a different impact and how it's been executed in those countries? Yes, for sure. So, for example, um, we look at the luxury brands that are most highlighted by uh, you know, a lot of the luxury influencers uh, in France, UK and Japan. And what is really interesting is that the top most mentioned luxury brands are often the same. So take an example, the top three most mentioned brands in Japan was Gucci, Chanel, and Hermes. And Gucci, incidentally, was also the top three most mentioned brand amongst that in the UK. However, the campaign is completely different, per se. So um, within the UK, for example, uh, there's a lot of emphasis on promoting entry-level products. So, you know, the various beauty products um, that might be more relevant to some of the social audiences and then getting them to be involved as part of the communities before kind of converting them further. Whereas um, in Japan, potentially due to their strategies locally, um, they look at using virtual influencers to really strike up um, these connections to, to get the Japanese uh, consumers interested in, in what they have to, to say. So again, this is uh, an illustration that even if the brand is the, the same brand, because they're local, that also means that as they execute it, they can think about how it can be locally relevant uh, by working with different kinds of influencers and with different strategies. And what about this growth in the UK that's been very driven by the uh, micro-influencers, particularly, in example, the engagement rate? And I know when I was looking at some of your stats, in other countries, it's, it's the larger influencers, particularly when it comes to fashion, I think, that had uh, a better response rate. Am I right in that? Yeah, so one of the things um, that we found fascinating was this general wisdom that um, as influencers grow, um, the engagement rate decreases and therefore micro-influencer tends to have the highest engagement rate. Um, that's a sort of often mentioned kind of principle. But in fact, if we really drill into the segment of luxury influencers and comparing them ag against different countries, uh, what, you were saying, what we're seeing is in fact, in places like Japan, even influencers who are more than 500,000, a million plus, not only did they not decrease in engagement rates compared to the micro-influencers, they actually increase um, in that sense. So I think that is something worth considering as you are selecting your influencers to not use one rule and apply to all. What about pricing as well? I mean, that's a very contentious issue now about what people should be charging for, uh, for campaigns. How, how does that differ in different countries? So, in, indeed, we provide that within our solutions um, in terms of utilizing data to inform um, the value and the pricing aspect. Some of the elements, um, as an example, um, we do uh, request rate cards from different influencers, and from there we can therefore then understand, you know, uh, through benchmarking, influencer particular following and engagement and categories and country, um, how does it actually sort of level in terms of an average market rate per se. Another factor that is part of our dynamically updating algorithm includes sort of how good of a fit is this influencer to the brand and how unique. So um, just going back to some campaigns now, I'm really keen to, to understand more about, you know, what, what you believe are some of the, the key elements of, of successful campaigns and how they differ in these, these countries. What did you find 
worked particularly well in Japan that may not have worked so well over here, for example? I think time and time again, the one thing we see as being really successful involves having a long-term relationship with influencers. It is a, it is a well-known, I think, well-known um, principle that people apply in whether it's sort of, you know, the lean startup, the digital strategies that you need to basically build, test, and measure, and iterate. So that's, that's the reason why I think all these sort of one-off campaign that goes blip and down typically is only useful in the scheme of having a long-term strategy. So are there lessons to be learned there in terms of educating brands more about how to use influencer marketing and influencers in the right way? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, so just to give you an example of a very simple use case that I think a lot of the brands are resorting to and can, can, can be applied. Um, a lot of the brands, for example, the first point that they engage with influencer is to send them product samples. Right? You have new products, you send them product samples. So one of our clients, for example, religiously send out, they have a media list of influencers, they send out these product samples to the same 200 people. Time and time again, time and time again. And once they start using the system, they're able to detect and track and understand amongst this group, even though they're, they're not sort of, you know, paid relationship, but just in terms of from a brand advocacy standpoint, they can therefore understand within that group what proportion of the influencers simply are not interested in, 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 the, in, in the products, potentially not at the moment. So, you know, about 25% of them, for example, never featured anything over 10 times. Because I'm guessing it's really important for the influencer to, to stay focused to their audience. And if they don't believe it's right for them, that, that they will lose that authenticity that they've taken some time to create. Yeah, it's like if you're trying to pitch someone something and it's not valuable to them, then it's not valuable to them and you should know that. And therefore, by understanding that, they were able to swap out the 25% of the, uh, of the, of the list by then figuring out people who are better fit. So a lot of the influencers who may organically have advocated for the brands in the past, uh, who may be better suited, even though they may be, some of them may be more micro or more nano, whatever it may be, um, they then invited them as part of this 200 strong. Um, and as a result, they were able to drive their engagement by over five times in six months um, as a result of continuously understanding whether they are adding value to the influencers um, you know content creation process and also um, building this longer-term relationship over time what do you think are some of the emerging industries which could embrace influencer marketing uh, more I think the re one of the reason why the luxury the fitness and so on um, the sectors have embraced it quite early on is because um, we live in a world that is incredibly focused on uh, visualized content, right? So um, you, you look at the, the, the huge success of Instagram and YouTube, both lends itself very, very well uh, for, for these um, sectors. I think coming up, the audio space will start to really flourish 
um, and it's interesting that we're discussing this over a podcast, um, but <laughs> you know, you can see that what can lend itself very well is instead of you know swiping over a picture which could last only three seconds um, over a podcast, you are listening to someone for potentially 20, 30 minutes. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Well, that's it for another edition. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. As always, we'd welcome your feedback and comments. Just email feedback at influencepodcast.net. And that's it from me, Gordon Lannister. Until the next time, thank you for listening.